Welcome to the Career Conversations podcast, brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group. I'm your host, Craig McGregor, and today we sit down with Anthony Kerr. Anthony owns two Howard Storage World franchises here in the Hunter, but his story is so interesting in how he got there, uh, from school kid to uh, travelling to Brazil after school, uh, becoming a football fan, uh, coaching tennis, uh, studying nuclear medicine, moving to the UK, finding the love of his life, and coming home and starting a business in franchising. Uh, sit back and enjoy this twisting tale of, of career choice. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group. People-centric recruiters, HRG looks to use technology and personal interviewing techniques to ensure the best fit possible for both the candidate and the employer. We operate labour hire and temp services for various sites, conduct permanent recruitment searches and have an innovative program we call temp to perm You can find us on the web www.hrgroup.com.au or search for us on your favourite social site, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. Whether you're an employer looking for a fantastic new team member or you're an individual seeking their next great career move, Start a conversation with Hunter Recruitment Group today. So welcome to the Career Conversations podcast, Anthony Kerr. Thank you very much. So before we get to your career, I want to I know a little bit about yourself. I want to know about your career as a squadron member with the Jets. Oh, You're yeah. a, you were a big fan, I believe, is that right? I'm still a big fan. Still a big fan. Uh, it's the first season in uh, nine, I had nine seasons as a season member. Yep. Uh, this year I haven't been just because I knew I didn't have time to go. Yeah, okay. But uh, that started out uh, when I moved back from England and a mate of mine said to me, you've got to come to the Jets. And I'm like, all right, yep, sure. He said, it's not Premier League, it's nothing like in England, but it's the best we've got, so let's support it. It was the year the Jets won was when I just got back just before the grand final. So we went to the grand final. I was there, it was great. Yeah, I was there, great, great <laughs> atmosphere, fantastic game. Um, and we came back and said, right, we're in the Champions League. Australians just don't know what the, the Champions League really means. Let's do something special. Yeah, I okay. said, yeah, whatever, Scott. Yeah, we can do that. I said, I'm going to order some gold Lycra suits. Will you wear it? Said, yeah, whatever. You, you order it, I'll wear it, whatever. I'm thinking there's no, <laughs> no chance he's going to order this. And about two weeks, I think, before the game, suits have arrived, helmets have arrived. <laughs> so we had these bright yellow helmets that went with these gold Lycra suits. And he said, do you want to come try it on? I said, I'm going to have to because this isn't, I'm not turning up to a game with, with thousands of people dressed like that and not knowing it's going to fit. So I went and tried it on and went, well, there's a few issues. One, there was no fly. <laughs> um, and the zip was at the back, I think. So we were like, we right, we a couple of beers. Got, got mum to sort that out. <laughs> um, and we made some fluffy red leggings as well and some armbands and got it all dressed up, got the aviator sunnies and went to the first game after a few cans of courage. Um, had one bloke abuse us, but the rest of the crowd was supportive and got stuck into him. And we did that for about four or five years yeah, to wow. every game, um, with less and less cans of courage involved towards the end of it as well. Yeah. So yeah, um, and then as the years struggled, we went, you know what? We're getting older. We've got kids. We're bringing the kids. We can't dress like this anymore. Yeah. So does um, anyone recognise you now? As the Gold suit guys? No, no. no. So was, you can just wander into a game? Well, we sat behind these two blokes for probably five years, or f- probably three or four years, and then we kept turning up out of the suits, and about halfway through the season they turned around to us and, 
are you two the blokes that dressed up? And we're like, yeah. Oh, we haven't talked to you all year not knowing it wasn't you. <laughs> Very good. Well, it's good to have a good Jets fan on the, on the podcast today. Yeah. So I want to start about with your career. So let's talk about... So you, did you grow up here in Maitland? Were you yeah, near a Hunter boy? Born, born in Gosford, but been here since I was two. Yep. Okay. So you're at school. Did you have any idea about what you wanted to do? Uh, younger days at school, I wanted to be a vet or physiotherapist. Yeah, okay. And I did that in year 10 as my work experience. Did that put you off it or get you towards it? Uh, With the vet, I still wanted to be a vet, but I was allergic to cats. And I remember one of the procedures, they said, you've got to hold this cat still whilst we drain their lungs. And if you move, we'll probably pierce its heart and it'll die. And I'm trying not to sneeze and hold this cat at the same time. I'm like, it's probably not the job for me, this one. So that was part of work experience, was it? Yeah, it was a stray cat, I think. So I don't think they were too bothered by whether the cat survived or not but they were just it was like duty of care type thing maybe but that's a good it's a good method of weeding out that you can't do that because of an allergy yeah Yeah. and I'm I'm pretty sure I could have got around it if I wanted to Um, physiotherapy I enjoyed um, but I probably was looking more at sports physio I thought that's a tough field to get into in the end I I probably realised about halfway through my HSC that I wasn't going to get the marks for that Mm -hmm. Um, and then so moved my ideas moved to I want to be a pilot yeah okay so it's the lycra in the helmet yeah <laughs> that was a, that was as close as I got to being a pilot um, we then I applied for, to Newcastle Uni and got into the degree there so what degree was it that was aviation yeah okay um, and that was done out at Avondale College at the airport out there predominantly for the first year but it was 30 grand first year straight up yeah wow um, and you had to pay up front and so mum, mum and dad were like, "Yeah, if you want to do it, do it. We'll we'll Support get you there." That's good. And I just happened to get into Rotary Youth Exchange as well. So I went away for a year, and, um, did a bit of research on it. I was told by a couple of the big airlines, "You won't get a job because your eyesight's too poor." Um, because I, I wear contacts, I'm pretty much blind without them. Yeah. Uh, so that sort of went. You you can still do the degree, but essentially you're limited Limit to employment options. Yeah, you. You're in the um, tower, essentially. And I'm like, well, I'm not sure I want to do that. Yep. Um, so then looked at other options. And so, f- so the Rotary Exchange was like a gap year, was it? Yeah, spent a year in Brazil. Yeah, okay. Um, right. Just didn't know the language, just living with four different Rotary families, yep. learning the culture, learning the, the country. Yep. Um, just growing up very quickly. I'm in a country like that as a 17-year-old turning 18. Did you move around different parts of Brazil or were you mainly in the was big in, cities? In Sao Paulo for the 12 months, but then travelled all over the place. So yeah. there was always a trip to different parts of the country. There was one trip that we did a massive area from from the south to the north, right up to from Iguazu Falls right up into the Amazon. So do you reckon that year shaped your career options? No doubt about it. Yeah, not, yeah. Whether it, it well, shaped... Not options, but what you wanted to do. It, it changed me yeah. in the way I approached life, I think, and yeah. and I saw myself at school as a shy kid, and I think I lost some of that and gained a lot of confidence that I yeah. could do just about anything. That's awesome. I, I turned up in Brazil, walked through the airport, and the only words... If you words were a shy kid, that would have been a tough thing to do. Oh, I could say Merry Christmas, that's and it, it was January 17th, <laughs> I think. <laughs> that's all I could say in Portuguese, and my host family... I had a host brother and sister who could speak, both speak English, but they were away at university. Mm-hmm. So I had my host mother and host father and a maid. None of them could speak English. Uh, and their first words to me were, you, you support Corinthians. 
I was like, your, your club is Corinthian, sorry, not you support. And I'm like, oh, righto. So I was a tennis player back then. I'm like, oh, I must be going to play tennis at a club called Corinthians. I had no idea what it was. It was a football club or soccer club. One of the biggest in the world, turns out. <laughs> um, and that's the club I supported. That's how where I went. Um, that was like their culture, wasn't it? Yeah. That was and, their week. And, that's, and that, going back to the Jets, that's probably where I... Yeah, my up. love of football started because they're just so passionate over there. It's unbelievable. Uh, I know I went to a game early on over there between Sao Paulo and Corinthians, which they're, they're both in Sao Paulo, both big so clubs. Derby. Yeah. And I went, my friends were um, Paulistans, they call them. So they supported Sao Paulo and I went there, sat with them on the segregated crowd so I was on the, the wrong side of the fence and anything that anyone did good, did well I clapped and went yeah this is great good game good game then they went right no don't clap the Corinthians I'm like what do you mean I said well have a look at that bloke over there I'm like what the one getting thrown over the fence yeah yeah he's a Corinthian supporter he's on the wrong side so I sat on my hands for the whole game from then on I've got no idea what the result I've got a feeling we might have lost Corinthians <laughs> might have lost but oh. and and then the last game I went to Corinthians had to win it to avoid relegation in the, must have been the National League. They played a state league in the National League. And I went with my Rotarian counsellor and we scored probably 85th minute or something like that to win the game. And I'm hugging this bloke next to me that I've never met before, never spoken to. And yeah. my counsellor just looked at me and went, man, you've changed. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, over a year. It's, eh? uh, yeah, crazy to think. Very good. So you come home. Yep. What happens next? Um, so you were going to do aviation? Yeah, so I deferred... I think I deferred aviation. But then in the meantime, I realised I wasn't going to do that. So I applied for nuclear medicine um, or medical radiation science nuclear medicine because I thought that looked interesting, something I could do, could lead to a number, number of different career paths. Sounds slightly different to aviation. Yeah, yeah, very <laughs> slightly. Um, so uh, why, the, why the change to nuclear medicine it was I, I don't really know why that it was more probably there was a lot of different paths I could go with it a lot of different options it was helping people I think was part of it that I wanted to do and thought you know what let's give it a crack um, I can actually no take that back I got I got out of aviation and got into science for a year mm -hmm. and I did a year of a science degree whilst I assessed what I wanted to do. Okay, so you used that as a bit of a passing tool, let's just explore. Yeah, because I wanted to do something to do with science. Well, I enjoyed science. And you know what, this is one of those things that I love telling people when they come in to talk to me, that's okay. Yeah. That not really knowing which direction and taking a year and going, okay, I'll try science and I might not like it, that's okay. Yep, because yeah. at school I, I liked Physics, because it was maths, I, maths I was good at. Um, biology was okay. Chemistry I struggled with, but but did it. And most of the sciences I enjoyed. So I thought, you know what, I'll give it a crack. Just get into a science degree, and then I can decide what I want to do from there. And then towards the end of that year, I applied for nuclear medicine. Uh, and it was only offered every second year. So that was part of the reason yeah. that I hadn't applied for it the year Could before. Could you transfer many of your credits over? With a fight. At first yeah. they said no. Yeah. Um, when I applied for the science, I'd, I'd looked into that degree and said, will these count? And they're like, yeah, 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 you'll be able to count some of that. And then when I got in, they're like, no, nah, none of it counts. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like, I'm basically doing the same thing again. Yeah. 
So I fought him on it and I got a fair few credits out, a couple of credits out of it. Not, not as many as what I thought I should. And nuclear medicine was a, there was only about 15 people accepted into the degree. Um, it was a small field, still is a small field, um, but there's a number of unis that accept every year now, so there's quite a few people out there doing it. So why, why nuclear medicine? Why did you transfer? What was the end game? It, it sounded fun. Work? No, not really. Not really? You just it just sounded like it was you. It sounded like it'd be fun. I'd get to play with radiation, get to inject people, get to <laughs> take pictures of them and help them out when they're, they're not feeling well. And there was a research path that you could go down as well. And it seemed interesting. It was something I didn't really know a huge deal about, but it, it sounded like it could be a, a good career. So. And it was here in Newcastle? Yeah, Newcastle degree. Yep. Um, so I, at, at that stage, I was, had no interest in moving away. Had that year in Brazil, wanted to stay home. Yeah, and thought, I'll hang out around here. Uh, and that that was good. It meant that I could still play my tennis, play my cricket, play my sport, do whatever I wanted around the area with my mates and and then enjoy life. And learn. Yeah. So you finished the degree? Learning was secondary. Um, finished the degree, yeah. Did you work while you were at uni or...? I coached tennis. Yeah, okay. So that was my... That's a job. Yeah, that was my job, essentially, and um, we're probably on court five days a week most of the time coaching yeah, okay. and playing so so it's mainly kids or were you catching adults as well or mainly kids but i do the the occasional adults um as a fill-in sort of lesson for one of the other coaches if he wasn't available yeah. um out at taylor's tennis academy out nice. at, at rayworth there yeah so it was um yeah loved doing that and got me through uni we'd we'd play coach and then head down to uni nights out that's pretty cool to be able to do something you're passionate about and love and and support your community by coaching kids get paid to do it while you're studying that's pretty cool yeah and it was great like just watching the kids and and yep. seeing them progress and seeing them achieve stuff it was yeah it was fantastic and loved every minute of that um probably taught me a lot as well about how to deal with people yeah uh, no doubt about it no aspirations to go on the atp tour or anything <laughs> no yeah, well yes there was when i was much younger but i i didn't have the uh, not desire, but I just didn't have the work ethic, I think, that could have got me there. Yeah. Uh, so I sort of went, you know what, I'm not going to put in the, the amount of work that I need to to get there, so let's put that on the, the back burner. All right. uh, so you finished uni? Finished uni, applied for a number of jobs. and So tell me about, so nuclear, you said there's only 15 students, yeah. so every two years they have the degree. I'm guessing there's not a huge supply and demand or the economies of getting a role in that space is at heart it wasn't then yeah um because there wasn't many coming out and nuclear medicine was a fairly growing growing field okay um and i think at that stage there was only wagga and us that did it and i think most of the students at wagga that year got failed for some reason so it was only students coming out of newcastle that were available yep and i think there was only about eight of us that were graduating as well okay so and most of the others had got jobs through their prac or and I hadn't done any local pracs until my very last prac and a lot of people had already got offered positions from there um and interesting story my very first prac I went to a central coast private practice and on the cameras of nuclear medicine machines they got big lead and they call them collimators that tell you what basically help you know where the radiation is coming from so it takes a picture you have to change them for different procedures and pretty easy job for a student to do roll this thing up, press a button, slide them off, slide the new ones on, press a button, off it goes. Can you do that? Yep, sure, off I did. Press the button, hadn't rolled the gantry back. Bang, broke this 
million dollar machine. No. Probably my third or fourth day at the, on the prac. <laughs> and at that stage I was like, maybe I shouldn't be doing nuclear medicine. Um, and I, but I went back and I got through that. I'm like, they you know what? You, they took you back though. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they didn't talk to me a lot. <laughs> but I think the guy that was supervising me at the time was like, you know what, that's partly my fault, not yeah. all your fault. Um, and they changed the design of that camera because of what I did. Yeah, wow. So, um, but yeah, that was pretty embarrassing. And I was close to walking out on the whole degree then. Um, no doubt about it. I think my lecturer rang me that night and said, you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I think so. Are you going back? I think so. We'll see how I feel in the morning. But yeah, so I applied for jobs. Actually got paid to go to an interview at Wagga um, because they were desperate for people. And I'd, been, I'd done a prac down there and really enjoyed it. And yep. like the town, I thought, you know what, I could do this and went down there I thought they're paying me for the interview I've got this job in the bag and I got the job but at the same time I got offered a job here at um, a local imaging group mm-hmm. um, which was more there was something more that I wanted to do than move yeah, yeah. town so far away to somewhere where I knew no one yep. uh, so I took that job and which plays a part in a lot of people's decision making yeah the ge- geography of where the role is and I think that those were, that's why you got paid to go to Wagga because of the supply and demand. They're desperate to get someone down there. Yeah, and they and there wouldn't have been many people mm. that even did a prac down there. Mm. So it would have been hard to to get someone, that, especially someone that hasn't been there before, yep. uh, to commit to a place like that. Mm. And I think I would have loved it. I know I would have loved it. Um, would have taken some time. But my plan from the end of, well, probably from about halfway through the degree was to get a job, work for a few years, save some money, go to England, work as a locum and travel through Get some experience and go and travel, eh? Yeah, and just work a bit, travel and see the world. And is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so after... So, pro- so that, so that it, um, career that you've chosen has transferable, like it, there's nuclear medicine everywhere. Yeah. So you can transport yourself to England, Africa, anywhere in Europe. Canada. Canada yeah. and go great there'll be a job somewhere for me potentially yeah and it is there it's not home so if the job isn't in London if it's an hour down the road it doesn't really matter I suppose yeah okay cool and, and I suppose there's a bit of irony there like I didn't want to move to Wagga but then I moved to yeah. England yeah um, but that was that was the plan um, probably two and a half well, years because so, it's interesting sliding door moment if you go down to Wagga maybe you don't do that yeah. Maybe you just get stuck in Wagga or you end up coming to Sydney or somewhere else as opposed to, well, I'm at home, I'm with my friends, I've got a goal, I'll save for a couple of years and then I'll do my trip. Wagga may have been your trip. Yeah. So. And, and I didn't want to move to a city, having lived in Sao Paulo, and I enjoyed that for 12 months and it was an experience that I, I probably would never experience living in a city that big again because yeah. it's because they had more, more people in that city than they had in Australia, I think, at the time. Um, which was crazy, but I didn't want to live in a city again after coming back and living in, in Maitland for a few mm-hmm. years. It was like, you know what, this pace of life is much nicer than That's living you. in a city. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and you can walk down the street and you'll see people you know, and whereas you don't have your head down, and um, obviously pre-mobile phones, so you have your head in your phone these days, <laughs> most people. So I did that, and yeah, I, I talked about it for probably 12, 18 months. I'm going to England, I'm going to go travel, bloke around the place and I think we went out with a couple of mates one night and stayed at his place and woke up in the morning we're having breakfast and 
I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to do this. And he's like, you're never going to do that. What do you want about? I said, yeah, well, see in an hour. Jumped in the car, went to a travel agent, booked a ticket, came back and went, there's the ticket. Wow. I'm going. And <laughs> uh, didn't think anything of it until, oh, now I've got to resign, now I've got to do this. Oh, wow, what have I just done? <laughs> what about your career side of things? Did you, did you see this as a oh, if I stay here, there's maybe a ladder that I can climb in the organisation or if I go overseas, I'm going to get the same experience but I'm going to get the adventure. Is, is, was there any of the career part in the decision? Definitely. Because yep. looking around, basically Newcastle had two nuclear medicine departments, one at John Anna Hospital and one private practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially the two people that were head of those departments had been there for a few years, didn't look like they were moving on anywhere soon. If I wanted to progress, I could progress a little bit, but I wasn't going to get very yeah, far was, from, from what I could see. Yeah, and I thought, I'm just going to be here. The private practice, I didn't think they treated their staff very well. Um, so when I was like, you know what, I don't want to be stuck in this sort of role, not moving forward for 10, 15 years and mm. not achieve anything, essentially. And that was, that was a big part of why, you know, I'd go overseas, work in different departments, work in a couple of public hospitals and see what happens. Yep. Um, in, in hindsight, the private there was a few other private practice opened up, so there was a bit of a, a place for me to go. The public hospital, I think the boss there has only just retired in the last 12, yeah, 18 okay. months, so there was, there was nothing going to happen there. Yep. Uh, but that was sort of, there was definitely a thinking towards that in my career path. Um, wasn't a huge influence. Yeah, but it was a component. Yeah. What about the work? So you got your ticket, you fly into Heathrow, I'm guessing, or somewhere in yep. London. Did you? How long did, did before you started job seeking and found something? Well, I got into a couple of agencies. Yeah. Okay. So I had a job before I left. Oh, excellent. I went to a, an information night in Newcastle, I think it was, with healthcare agencies yeah. in the UK. Loved the Aussies back then and because we had a completely different work ethic and I think... If you had a, an English tourist on a gap year coming over here, they've got a completely different work ethic to what an Australian mm. does most times. They just want to get stuck in, get the work done, then go off and do their travelling. Yeah. And they love that. So it was like, cool, we've got your job. We can get your job. Sign with us and we'll go from there. And I said, right, I want a job, but the one thing I don't want to do is work in London. Mm. Like, oh, right, that's, that's easy then because most people just want to work in London. We'll get yep. your job somewhere else. And so they got me a job in Barnsley, which is Yorkshire, north, okay, central north, I'd probably call it. I think it's Yorkshire. And I had no idea where it was um, other than it was up north. I had no, no real plans other than, right, they can get me accommodation at the hospital. Cool, that's all sorted. I'll fly into Heathrow, got some mates in London, can hang out with them for a few days and then um, get over my jet lag head up there and, and go from there so I jumped on a train or well, got into London I remember it was the day that Mark Philippoussis beat Andre Agassi in five sets at Wimbledon because I sort of got into my accommodation and went oh cool <laughs> sit and have a few on. beers and watch this this is great and I think the two days later I was at Wimbledon um, watching Mark Philippoussis play he was going he was going out with Delta Goodrum at the time because we spent <laughs> most of the thing, there she is she's over there we can see her um, and then, yeah, headed up north and started work on the Monday. And that's when it sort of hit me when I got into the, the accommodation there and I'm completely by myself, not knowing anyone around. 
I had an Australian mobile phone, brick phone, that nothing like the phones these days. I went, what am I doing? Mm. What am I doing here? This is just crazy. You've just moved to a completely different town. I've got a little cubicle essentially as a room um, with a shared kitchen and I've got no idea what I'm doing. I had no car, barely any money. I had a bit of money to get by. Um, and then started work on the Monday morning and walked in and went, this would be interesting. And it was a very tiny department. It was a one camera, one camera head. So you usually, most cameras these days will have two or three heads on them so they can do two or three pictures at a time. This had one camera head and they had two staff there plus myself. Now, in the private practice here, Overkill. we would have had one staff per camera. Yep. And in one camera department, you'd probably have two staff. And I'm like, wow. And they were doing six or seven patients a day. And if that's a busy day for them. I'm going, what am I doing? And I thought, this is great. I'm getting paid £20 an hour, which was well and truly above what I was getting paid over here. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was great. And so they got me up to speed with the place. There was, um, I don't think it was the first day, but I remember dealing with a patient early on. And she, uh, it was a he. And he said something to me. I'm like, I have no idea what that person just said. Turned around to the bloke I was working with and said, I'm sorry, I can't understand him. <laughs> That's not English. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, it's definitely English. It's, uh, he's, he's Yorkshire. And this guy was from um, Newcastle. So he was a Geordie. So he sp- spoke a bit different again. He said, I'll do all this one. Don't worry about it. And it took me a while to get used to the northern accent or that, that part of the northern accent. Um, because I, didn't, I was naive. I didn't know the English accents varied so greatly yeah. over there. Uh, but I lasted about three months there. And I think the boss went away for two weeks and they had a six month waiting list for a heart scan and, I, and we were doing two of them in a day and we said to the doctor you needed a doctor to do them and said right can we do more of these can you do more of these in a day he's like yeah can do as many as you want so right well we've got a six month waiting list why don't we try and wipe this out yep. and we essentially wiped it down to four weeks in the two weeks she was away said listen look, this is what we achieved look at what we can do went back to the old ways and I went can't work like this yeah it's just killing me so I, I quit bought a car quit and went went to Ireland and just spent a week traveling around Ireland uh, whilst I reassessed what I wanted to do so uh, did you get another job in Europe or yeah yeah I was, so that was after that I came back and I got another a locum job down south in Maidstone I think I went after that and they they were much easier to understand down in the south. <laughs> um, uh, and I just, I rocked up to the, the hospital accommodation there. There was a couple of Aussies there. There was a couple of Irish and a few other people that were doing similar things to yep. us. And it just it's ended up with a, a good group of people. Yep. Um, were able to hang out and um, it was a, a great place to be. And I think my sister was getting married. So I had to quit that job to come home to, to the wedding. Um, and then so I came home for probably a month over the summer went you know what I don't need to spend winter in, in England yep. and that tended to be a theme over the next four and a half years in England I'd come home yeah, okay. during their winter I think I only spent one winter over there um, maybe two and came home for a wedding or there was always no a, a reason a reason yep. yeah um, and, and then go back and I was lucky I think after Maidstone I went back and I got a job in Kent down in Canterbury Kent and Canterbury Hospital and that was through 
knowing a few people that worked at Maidstone, they're like, yep, they're looking for a locum. And basically, I had this locum position there for as long as I wanted. Yeah, okay. um, they were just like, yep, keep coming back. I'm going away for a month. Don't worry about it. We'll cover you. Come back in a month's time. That's awesome. Um, and by then, I'd learned to negotiate with the agencies and I'd worked for a couple of different agencies by then and we were able to get, uh, I think I was up to about £33 an hour. And I looked back and went, that 20 quid an hour was terrible compared mm. to what I can now what get. You can earn. Um, particularly out of London. In London, it was a bit more competitive. Yep. But, yeah. So, um, and my main thing that I did over there when I was there, I went, you know what, I can work. And being out of London and not being around too many Aussies and people doing the same thing I was doing, I went, I've got to make friends somehow and I don't mm. want to make my friends being just work friends. Yep. So every place I went, I went, I've got to find a cricket team. Yeah, okay. I was going to say it might have been tennis, but it's cricket, eh? Yeah, yeah, tennis, I hadn't played for a few years and went, you know, in cricket... It's more a team sport too. Well, we, the, the guys I played cricket with, played tennis, we literally said one year, let's give up tennis this summer and play cricket instead. Yeah. And um, Friday night, went out with a few of those guys for the first time in a long time and made lifelong friends out of making that cricket team. Yeah. And so I did the same thing over there and went, got to find a cricket team. So you're technically like a, an Aussie cricketing import. Like you, you were over there playing cricket. Yeah, yeah. just wasn't as good yeah. as what they wanted me yeah. to be. The nursing thing is just a side thing. So you've got an excuse to go back to England now, is that right? Yes, yes. Uh, so I came back with a, with a wife. Well, didn't come back with a wife, came back and she ended up following me. Yep. Um, so tell me about that. So she's English? Yeah, she's in, Claire's English. She, so she's now lives in Australia's home? Yeah, been here for 11 years. Yeah, so that must be a big change for her. Yeah, and it was, originally she wasn't coming. Yep. So, I long so were you going to stay? That, the plan was, you know, the way it worked in England, basically the NHS, the hospital system said, we're going to cut back on the amount of locums we use, we're spending too much money on it. Which was fair enough, because they were. I shouldn't have been a locum in the one spot for two and a half, three years. Yeah, okay. um, that was ridiculous that they were paying me locum rates when essentially I was a full-time staff member. They could have cut my pay by 20 30%, probably more, I think it was back then. Um, but I like to think that they got more out of me than what they would have out of a, a full-time staff member because mm -hmm. I sort of pushed the limits on what they could do. Yep. I'd like to think that. I don't, I don't know <laughs> if it's true. <laughs> but so... When they started saying, right, NHS is cutting back on locums, I was like, you know what, I've got to rethink what I do now. I, I can't keep doing this locum thing. I'd, I'd literally just applied, renewed my ancestors' visa and started the process to get a, a British like citizenship, a essentially. Yeah. And thought, all right, what do we do? I'll apply for a full-time job. And I applied for a full-time job in London because I thought if I'm going to work full-time in this field I want to get into the research side of it and went to one of the bigger hospitals and they were chasing me they're like we want you up here we want you up here I thought mm. this is pretty cool I'm like I don't want to live in London though <laughs> um but Kent was only it wasn't that far for a commute so to London was it? was it like Gosford Gosford to Sydney it's probably probably closer to Sydney than Gosford just yeah, okay. depending on where you were in it um and so I'd literally said to Claire right looks like I've got this job in London but it means that I'm going to be commuting. I don't want to be paying for a house in Canterbury and then not really staying there, but mm. then basically I'm here because you're still here. Otherwise, I'll go back to Australia. Why don't we move in together? 
And I think it was a bit, yeah, yeah, that'd be good. We could both play the mortgage. No, not going to happen. Um, cold feet went, no way, can't happen. And I went, well, there's no form of you taking the job over here if we're not going to live together and if we're going to break up. I'm going back to Australia. She's like, fine, that's fine, cool. Um, and I was like, all right, that, that was a little... Not what I wanted yeah, to Yeah, <laughs> that didn't, didn't exactly go the way I planned it. But anyway, um, it is what it is. And that's when I sort of went, well... I'm not moving back to Sydney. I don't want to... I want to be at home again and be around my mates. So I thought, let's get out of Newcomb Madison. Let's do something different. I've got some cash in the bank because I'd, I'd literally travelled for probably three years and spent all my money and then spent a year and a half. You know what, let's save some money. Mm. Let's put it away, see what I can do when I get home. And I'd read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad that Dad gave to me and basically... The crux of the book, what I took out of the book was, you're stupid putting all your money into buying your own house. Mm. That's never going to make you money. You can do that, but do it later. Invest your money, make your money work for you first, and then use the money to buy your own house. I thought, that's not a bad idea. How can I make this work? And I'm going to buy my own business. I feel like I could work for myself, gives me a bit of flexibility. I'll buy a little sandwich shop or something like that. That'll be easy can't be too difficult to do that <laughs> open lunch times maybe afternoons make some coffees yep. happy early mornings yeah that'll be fine whatever and so that was the the plan and i rang dad so this is what i'm going to do been looking on some websites keep an eye out he said, why don't you buy a franchise oh, i'm not sure about that i don't want someone telling me what to do the whole idea of buying a business is that well, i want to be doing it yeah i want to be telling people what to do rather than i want to create the an environment that's enjoyable to work in, not be told that you've got to do it like this. Mm. He said, yeah, fair enough, but franchises don't work like that. I said, right, tell me more. And he was a he was a business coach that was part of a franchise. Yep. So he knew a bit about it and said, well, basically you, you will have autonomy, but you'll be working with a brand that's already known. You've got massive advantages from that, especially being your first business. Mm. All right, cool. Did you explore, before you chose Howard's, did you explore other franchises? Did you really look at the market? Lots. Yeah, okay. So, and with everything going on at the minute in franchising, we dodged a few bullets. Yeah, good. Um, I think it was Business Review Weekly had the top seven fastest growing franchises in the magazine on a month that I came home. Mm-hmm. And we started talking about it. And Dad just basically threw it at me and said, read that. Have a look at what you think. So I spent that month at home just researching different yeah, franchises, what I wanted to do, where, what the potential was. Because you look at a lot of them and I thought, well, the potential earnings in that is quite limited, mm. more to the amount of time that you can... Yeah, you just basically got an yeah, hourly rate. I can mow the lawns, but I can only mow so many lawns a day. Yep. Um, so the ones we looked at... Should I tell you? Do, do I name names? Yeah, exactly. So Michelle's Patisserie... Gloria Jeans, Howard's, and there was one other, I think, that we looked at. And at that stage, Michelle's Patisserie and Gloria Jeans were owned by different people. They're well, so they're, they're um, interestingly, they're both food and cafe, similar to what you were first thinking. Yeah. As opposed to Howard's, isn't it? Yeah, and Howard's was, and they, these were all on the, BB, um, BB's Cafe was another one, which. Yeah, okay. So all cafe hospitality. Yeah. And interestingly, those three were all owned by different people at the time, but they're now all owned by RFG, okay. the one that's all in trouble with all yep. the other franchises and everything. 
Um, and Howard's was the only one that wasn't really that sort of way inclined. And but they were all coffee-based franchises. Mm. I don't drink coffee. Yeah, me neither. Um, I didn't even drink hot drinks till I went to England, and you have to drink tea <laughs> when you go to England. It's beer hot there. Yeah. <laughs> but you like literally playing cricket in England. They have a cup of tea at the change of innings. Yep. Um, it's called a tea break. Yeah. And first couple of games, I'm like, what you, why would you have a cup of tea? It's like 26 <laughs> degrees. It's, and then yep. got used to it, and I'm like, I need my cup of tea at the innings yep. break. Um, and now I have a good couple of t- cups of tea a day, uh, but still can't drink coffee. And I, we went and visited a Michelle's patisserie franchisee and said to him, well, we'd rule out Glory Jeans because we walked into their head office and they said, right, yeah, you want to open a franchise. Where do you want to do it? No, why, how, no. what do you want to do? It was just like, wow, they just, we could just give Can them the money. And, to anyone. Yeah. Um, they don't even care. They haven't got even a site. They just want to get as many people out there as possible. Mm. I'm like, I, I don't want to do Not that. And I also looked at them and thought they're quite limited in their offering. They didn't really have a lunch offering. They just had yep. coffee and cake. Yep. Um, so we ruled them out. Michelle's patisserie were pretty close to, thought, you know what, there's a lot you can do with that. There's, mm. Depending on the location, you can really vary what the franchise is. Well, and their model was you buy everything from them. You don't pay a franchise fee, you buy everything from them. Okay. I thought that simplifies it. Mm. And my rose-coloured glasses went, this could be good. Uh, knowing what I know now and having seen what they're going through, it's yep. that's a disaster waiting to happen. Um, but we went and visited a Michelle's patisserie at Tugger it was and walked up and said to the guy, you got five minutes, we're looking at buying it franchise what are your thoughts and he basically said I've got to sell 350 cups of coffee a day to break even mm. and I was like wow that's a lot of coffee that's a, a lot of coffee and obviously he sells 100 cakes it's less coffee he's got to sell but that's how he broke it down I went oh, I really don't like coffee <laughs> and what am I doing and mum had already said to me I'll retire from teaching and come and help you but she doesn't drink coffee either <laughs> so like we're gonna have two people that don't like coffee Serving. serving a coffee business we don't know if the product's good or bad yep. what are we doing let's steer clear of that so they basically narrowed it down to Howard's was the only one left mm. and I had no idea what Howard's was mm. never heard of it mum knew what it was and went I love that shop it's a great shop was there a Howard's local? at that stage no but there had been yeah, okay. um, at Katara Fair when it was Katara yep. Fair before Westfield they had a little shop in there um, and the guys that owned that still owned the Leichhardt store at that stage mm-hmm. in Sydney and they were still living in Newcastle as well so we I went to the Tug Tugger was the closest shop and went in there and went you know what like none of these products I need right now because I don't have a house yep. but every single one of these products look like they're a decent quality um, I, I didn't want to be a salesman um, I had this thing in my head that salesmen are trying to sell you something that you don't necessarily want and I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want someone to buy something and then go home and go, I didn't want that. Yeah, you just want to be a customer service yeah. agent. Yeah, or I didn't, I didn't want to... I, I bought that, I paid him 20 bucks and it's broken two weeks later. What's the point? And I looked at the products and went, that's not going to happen with these mm. products. They're good. Um, I went, you know what, let's, let's talk to these guys and see what we think. And so we probably spoke to them on and off for three or four months. Um, I went back to England... Um, and kept working over there because I 
wanted a source of income and still had a fair life over there and yep. lots going on. So I thought, you know, I'll, I'll go back, I'll work. We signed up to the franchise and went, okay, now we need to find a site. And that was another reason why we chose Howard. They, Howard's, they weren't. You've right. got to go here. Yeah, you've got this. Um, yep, that's great. They were like, right, we'll sign you up first and then let's spend some time finding a site that's suitable. Rather well, I was going to ask that. I don't know much about franchises, but mm. what's the support they give you? Is it, is, it, is it good support? Is it like from a... So they've helped you select a site, have they? Or so Back then, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it varies, and we've got a different franchise all now. There's, yeah, okay. So, but back then they had someone basically dedicated to finding sites that were suitable. Yeah. And our plan was to open in Newcastle, and I sort of went back to England and said, right, I'm going to leave mum and dad to figure that talk out. to them. They've got this person that's dedicated. She'll find a site. We can then look at it and go, yes, that'll work. No, it won't. Probably the first warning of don't take a franchisor's word for gospel was they sort of started throwing sites at us that weren't suitable mm. um, and just didn't fit the demographic for Howard's business. And I was like, hang on a minute, what are you talking about? Um, and mum and dad suggested a site which happened to be Rutherford. It wasn't the plan to open Rutherford first. The plan was to open a Newcastle shop mm. and then open something closer to Maitland once Newcastle was up and running. Um, particularly being the, the bigger population base down there. And we just could not find anything in Newcastle and the, the Rutherford Supercentre opened. And mum and so dad... So you were part of the opening of that, were you? Yeah, there was a little furniture shop in there for ages and the rest was empty for yep. a long, long time. Um, and we were one of the first shops in there. And we suggested... Well, Dad suggested that to them and she said, basically, no, not going to happen. Um, not the right demographic, not going to work. People don't shop out there. And despite the... We knew the, the planned growth that was happening in that area. Mm. They hadn't done any of that research and we handed that to them. Anyway, fast forward a couple of months, they came back to, to Dad and said, oh, we found this site at Rutherford, what do you think? <laughs> um, and around that time, I got a phone call from the woman that was doing it saying I can't work with your father anymore I'm going to deal with you and I was <laughs> driving to work in London and I'm going are you kidding me um, dad what's going on and it's like ah oh, let's let's not go there but we'll I'll sort it out um, so they ended up signing at least at Rutherford and we we November 3rd 2007 we opened so I moved back here in July of 2007 I think it was yeah yep and um Tell me about Claire. Did she come then? No. So then so we... So were, were you doing all this with the potential of her not coming back? Yeah. Yeah, wow. So we were we're still good friends um, and still spending a fair bit of time together, but that was all... We knew it was coming. I went, you know what? I'm, I'm off. This is happening. Um, she's like, fair enough. And I think both of us knew it wasn't what we wanted. Yep. But... We're both stubborn people. <laughs> so off I went. Um, and funny when Claire said, I don't cry when we first got together. I don't, do, don't cry, don't do gifts and don't do celebrations. And I thought, this is perfect. I don't have to buy presents. I'm never <laughs> going to upset you. This is great. Uh, but she was upset when I left. Um, but we, it looked as though I was going nowhere. So, we went, you know, what? it's just how it is. And I came back, we did the training, 
um, still stay in contact with Claire, occasional phone calls. Um, and did the training, came back about July, I think it was, might have been July, August. Did the training, the plan was November that we open, um, negotiated the fit out, did all of that sort of stuff. Still didn't know a great deal about the stock. When we did the training, we did some training with two guys that were opening stores in WA. They're like, yeah, we've done our opening order. We've got all this stock. We're marketing campaign's going to be all this. And they were opening oh, late November, early December, and we hadn't done any of that stuff. Yeah, wow. And I was sitting there looking at mum going, should we have done this? <laughs> I wouldn't even know how to do half of this stuff. And how do I know that I need to order all that stock? Because I don't know what the stock is. Mm. Uh, so we were... I was. A little bit of a panic then, but thought, no, we've got these guys that are helping us out. And they're like, no, we can do your opening order and um, we can help you with all this. So I was quite happy with that and kind of relaxed about it. Um, did a bit of a marketing plan campaign. And then, yeah, November 3rd hit. And I think November 2nd, someone said to me, what are you going to do if this doesn't work? Mm. I was like, I haven't even thought about no that. No plan B haven't even thought about that whatsoever but I don't have a house on the line it's mum and dad's house that's probably on the line really because <laughs> they put their house as security for one of the smaller loans we took out we'll see what happens yep. I suppose you can always and go back to your, your training yeah but that was the first time that I went oh god what happens if it doesn't mm-hmm. um, and the guy it was the it was Going back to your question about help from franchisors, we had a designated person that came and visited you every couple of months, couple of weeks, depending on um, how busy they were and how many franchisees were there. And he was helping me through all this and he was the one that asked that question and he he was up here to open the store. And I was like, all right. He said, what are your realistic expectations for your opening night? I'm like, I reckon we could do three grand, maybe. I don't know. And I had no idea. Hmm. He was plugging um, that from thin air? Yeah. And, and uh, I don't know. And he's like, well, I think you've been a bit optimistic. But at that stage, I don't think I'd even done a break even for the business. Yeah. So I didn't re- really know what I needed to turn over in the... Didn't know what the 350 coffees were. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was incredibly naive and it's scary to think. I look back at it now and go, wow, you went in very you just blind. just did it because you wanted to own a business. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was... That was I wanted to create something for yourself and create a, 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 a business that was fun to work in yeah, okay because I think I worked in a number of different places all over the world and some were great some were terrible but most of it came from the boss yeah and Top down. yeah if the boss was a good boss it was a good place to work if they weren't any good then it really became a negative place to work yeah uh, and looking now I know I know when it's not a fun place to work and I yeah. think, oh, is that coming from me? What yep. I, it's it's exactly. scary now. I, yep. I hope it wasn't... I hope it's not always. Sometimes it is from me, there's no doubt about it. But I hope it's not always. Um, so, yeah, we got into that and I... The first, the opening night, we smashed expectations. Oh, wow. I think we did six or seven grand in the night and the... And what was that from? Do you think it was the marketing campaign? It was a new store that was in the area that no one had really known or was something that Rutherford had never seen? Was it, what was it? It was Maitland. It was Maitland. It was, having grown up in Maitland, having a, a dad network. that was fairly prominent in Maitland, yeah. we were able to get personal invites out to 
a number of different people and created a crowd and the community came together and it was yeah it was amazing yeah um it was yeah really really good to to see and then yeah so that's when the education really started though like the training that we did with howard's was some help yeah but then you had to learn on the fly we had to learn how to run a business and they didn't really teach you that much of the and the hardest part is staff yeah um i think in the first three months i made every staff member cry um not always not through me being angry it was just like we need to learn these things and it was like it's too hard it's too hard um and yeah and i hadn't been a boss before Mm. so it was a it was a steep learning curve uh i don't think i think we had one staff member that lasted the 12 months and that was mum yep she couldn't go anywhere uh but we learned a lot and i don't there's not a staff member out there that i wouldn't be happy to say hello to now um and i'm pretty sure it goes the other way well there's one but let's not talk about her (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah so it got to a month in got to december and it was perfect time to open a retail business being going into christmas there was no issues of cash flow whatsoever and I'd been ordering stock. I'm like, yeah, cool. We sold this much stock this week so I can order that much stock next week. That's easy. Got to Christmas Day and I went, I'm ordering all this stock. I haven't paid for anything yet. Oh, maybe I've got to do that. Hang on a minute. How's this all going to work? So then it was just lucky that I had a couple of days off because we didn't open Christmas Day, Boxing Day. Oh, I can actually sort all this stuff out now and all our invoices were 30 days end a month. That was yep. part of what the franchise negotiated for everyone. Perfect, cool, I've got to pay it by the 30th of December. Um, but back then it was, EFT wasn't as common. Yep. So there was checks, there was all these different things that you had to do to pay it. And, um, had no idea of accounting software. I'm like, <laughs> oh God. Um, but got through it and worked it out. And then... Do you think, looking back, that your career in nuclear medicine helped you in any way in your franchise yeah yeah because customers were like patients yep um one thing i was good at in a nuclear as a nuclear medicine technologist was calming patients down i was going to say convincing patients to do the scan because a lot of patients have got one a fear of needles to claustrophobic Mm -hmm. and the cameras have the closer they are to the body the better the picture is and so if you're doing a full body scan, this camera's virtually touching your nose and some people just couldn't handle that. And particularly in, in England, I was the go-to person, right? Someone's claustrophobic, Anthony will get them through. Good. Um, I don't know how, I just talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look at that and think, well, basically I'm just presenting to that patient. This is what's gonna happen. This is how it's gonna happen. I'm here with you. I'll talk you through the whole process. And it's like talking to a customer now. Mm. It's like, I don't sell the product. I say, this is what the product can do. This is how it can help you. You've got the issue. This is how it's going to solve the issue. This is how we can help you get that issue solved. Yeah, cool. Um, but I'm guessing now as well, you mentioned, it's, was it 12 years you've been? Yeah, close to, yeah. Doing it. Your job 12 years ago would be different to what your job is today. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was probably about March 2008 that Claire decided... Well, I was going to ask, let round that out for us. Yeah, so coming into, uh, it's probably March, 
I got a phone call. I'd been in Newcastle, I think I'd been to the beach or somewhere, and I'm driving back to, to Maitland and I get a phone call from England and I'm thinking it must be one o'clock in the morning. They're like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, good, good. What's up with you? Oh, I've just been out with the work girls and she'd had a few, few drinks. I'm coming to Australia. Oh, really? That's interesting. Um, is this a, a decision you've made tonight? Said, yep, I'm coming. <laughs> like, all right. How about you wake up in the morning, give me a call and tell me you're coming, then I'll believe you. Yeah. She's like, no, no, I'm definitely coming. I said, good, good, okay, I'll believe you. Sounds similar to another guy that left and got a travel ticket to prove his mate. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, this would be interesting. Um, and I was driving at the time, so I cut the conversation fairly short um, and got home. She woke up and said, no, I'm definitely coming. Uh, definitely coming, but I can't come. I'm a teacher. She was a teacher. And over there, they had to work out the term or I think it was the term after the term type thing. Yeah, okay. So she came probably about three or four months after that. She moved out here um, and off we went. Um, she didn't teach out here until probably two years ago now. Yeah, okay. Um, that she started teaching. She worked... Well. So did she work with in the Howard's business? Not initially. Initially, she was just... I just said, just find your feet, spend some time, yeah. live the Australian life... Um, Funny story, I got a phone call when I was working at Rutherford one day. He said, are you coming home for lunch? It was about 11 o'clock. I'm like, oh yeah, I was thinking about it, but um, hadn't got that far yet. No, you need to come home for lunch. I'm like, all right, why? And it's like, Gus, Gus, get out of here. And Gus was our eight-year-old Labrador. Like, What's wrong? What's wrong? There's a cockroach. <laughs> Hadn't seen one of them before, eh? Yeah, and, and it flies. <laughs> They're big. They're not that big in England. So just get the fly spray and spray it. No, I'm not going anywhere near it. You need to come home and kill it. Um, and surprisingly, the cockroach was still there when I got there about 40 minutes later. <laughs> uh, but that was, yeah. And, and she had a... She's still not good with cockroaches. <laughs> I don't think... She'll spray them now, but she won't kill them. Yeah. Um, not step on but she's anyway. here now so did she stay she didn't go back she's so she stayed for uh, until a visa allowed her to yeah. um, she came out in a tourist visa and then went well I've got to leave the country so I'm going to go back for a while went back and, and applied for the spousal visa so we had to go through a whole heap of stuff with that send photos and get people to write say yeah these two have been together yep blah 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 um, which was quite a complicated procedure and then she came back and um, has been here pretty much ever since. And yeah, well, so big move for her. Yeah, and the, and I said to her, when you come out, give it two years because you'll probably hate the first twelve months, yep. and then you'll start to get used to the way of life for the next twelve months, and then you'll go home and you go, oh, it's home, but it doesn't necessarily feel like home, and then you'll start to feel like you're you're integrating into the surroundings. Yep. Um, and occasionally I get it thrown back at me. I know. Was only staying two years. <laughs> Occasionally. Very good. All right. Well, on this podcast, we've got a time machine. So it's the Career Conversations time machine. If you could rewind the clock to 20-year-old Anthony, given what you know now, what advice would you give him? I wouldn't change what I've done, that's for sure. Um, but I, I wouldn't be as naive as what I was. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'd question things a lot more rather than just say... Yep, that's the way it's going to be. Yep. Because uh, I think looking at the way the franchises are... So that experience you've got allows you to do that, I suppose. Yeah. 
and and our experience with Howard's hasn't been smooth for the 12 years. Yeah. Uh, we've had our ups and downs, no doubt, and we've now got a new franchisor who was much better than the old one. Mm-hmm. Um, and franchising is changing and will change over the next few years and mm. for the better for franchisees, there's no doubt about it. Because yeah, okay. it's been very negative for franchisees. We've had no rights. Um, luckily, we've had a, a decent business that's been able to survive um, some issues, mm-hmm. whereas others haven't, um, yep. particularly in other franchises, but even in ours, there's been some that haven't survived. Mm. And so I think I'd be, I'd tell myself not to be naive and question things more. Um, but I don't think I'd change what I've done. Very good. Mm. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, and it's great to learn about your career arc from nuclear medicine to Howard's uh, storage franchisee. Mm. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Anthony. Special thanks for Anthony Kerr for being our guest today on our Career Conversations podcast. I hope you enjoyed that that tale. Um, I just found it fascinating sitting down and, and chatting to him about the choices that he's made and, and where it's led to in his life. If you'd like to find out more about Anthony's business, Howard Storage World, here in Katara and Rutherford, uh, we've got a link to their Facebook page uh, on our uh, show notes and also a link to Anthony's uh, LinkedIn profile if you want to learn more about Anthony. So again, thanks for listening to the Career Conversations podcast. Until next time, I'm Craig McGregor.